for these people that we've mentioned, and we will get into our study. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, thankful once again to be able to be brought together from all around the world as we do here in these studies. We thank you for the praise reports that we've just shared with each other. We thank you for the the uh, brothers that we have evangelizing forces that are traveling across the world right now. We ask that you'll be with Mitch and Dee, that you'll use their their travels to unify and to bring together the body of Christ. We ask that you will give them safe travels, keep them in good health. We thank you, Father, for all the healings that we have received from you. And we ask that you will continue to give healing where healing is needed, encouragement where that is needed, and the ability to struggle to uh, to complete the struggle that you've placed within the lives of each of your children. We ask you now that you will be with us in the study that we'll have today and you shall help us to see that it is a long journey that you've gone on, but you are you do come back and you do take up residence in our lives and that you do bring us through this long struggle. But help us to see it for what it is to appreciate the, the vast effect upon all of mankind that this struggle and this work that you're doing in us is to have. We ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, our uh, study is in Isaiah 7. We'll be, we'll be doing uh, ver- the first nine verses. And I'm not done. I haven't seen fit. It didn't seem like the uh, like it was necessary to do a, a lot of word searching in today's study, but there is definitely a lot to be learned from knowing just what Isaiah is doing, what, what what God has given Isaiah to do, because what He's given Isaiah to do is what He's given us to do. It's not really all addressed to us, and I hope to get that across to you as we uh, cover this study today. But Let's uh, remember what we've covered up to this point. You know, Isaiah has just been given a commission. He had the uh, coal from the live coal from the altar to touch his lips. That has a lot of significance to it. And and now we're here in chapter seven, where he's going to begin his commission. And it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, the king of Assyria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, went up toward Jerusalem to war against it, but could not prevail against it. And it was told the house of David, saying, Syria is confederate with Ephraim. Ephraim is just another word for Israel, another name for Israel. And his heart was moved, that is, the house of David, meaning Ahaz. His heart was moved in the heart of his people as the trees of the woods are moved with the wind. In other words, they were scared to death. Then said the Lord unto Isaiah, Go forth now to meet Ahaz, you and Sherea. There is no J sound, it's a Y. Sherea, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool in the highway of the fuller's field. 
and say to him, Take heed and be quiet, fear not, neither be faint-hearted, for the two tails of these smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of Rezin with Syria and the son of Remaliah. Because Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Remaliah have taken evil counsel against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and vex it, and let us make a breach therein for us, and set a king in the midst of it, even the son of Tobiel. Thus saith the Lord God, it shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is risen. And within three score and five years, sixty-five years, shall Ephraim be broken, that it be not a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Remaliah's son. If you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. Now here is the uh, Ahaz facing a an onslaught from an, a unified force of Syria and Israel. And he's outnumbered. But God sends his prophet to Ahaz to tell him, look, everything's in my hands. You don't need to worry. If you believe, everything's fine. If you don't, you will not be established. Well, as we're going to see, this is a story of us, and I mean when I say us, the whole thing is all about us. And I hope to make that clear before we get through this. This chapter seems to be a stark contrast from the heavenly scene of Isaiah 6 and the visions of the Lord's throne and Isaiah being cleansed with a, coal from the, a live coal from the altar and his commission to tell the people of an unclean lips of their impending judgment. That's, that's what chapter 6 is all about. But the truth is that this chapter is the account of Isaiah beginning to be obedient to that heavenly commission that he was given. Let's look at it before we go on here from Isaiah 6, verses 8 through 10. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? This is right after he had the coal touch his lips. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, and understand not. See ye indeed, and perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, make their ears heavy. Shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert and be healed. Lest they do that. That's an incredible statement right there. Don't let these people see, don't let them hear, and don't let them be healed. And don't let them be converted. That's what, that's what Isaiah was sent to tell them. But this, this took place after he had had the live coal from the altar touch his lips. Because that live coal from the altar is the seven last plagues that are poured out upon all, poured out upon all of us. It is the much tribulation through which we must all go before we can enter the kingdom of God. It is the fire trial that we must endure before we can be rulers with Christ during the thousand years and judges in the lake of fire. That's what this is all about. But our story today about Ahab, I mean Ahaz, is, is just a story about that fiery experience that we all go through. That's what this story about Ahaz is. 
and it's going to go on, and it's going to go on, and it's going to go on, and it seems like it will never quit. But it does come to an end. Now, a later great man of God, the Son of God, lived his life with these words of Isaiah 6, 8 through 10 here that we just read, which proceeded out of the mouth of God and therefore must be kept by all men. Let's read, read what Christ said about this part of Isaiah in Matthew 13, verses 10 through, I guess, uh, 17. The disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Talking about the same people that Isaiah is talking to. And he answered and said to them, Because it's given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to them it's not given. For whosoever has, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever has not, from him shall be taken even that that he has. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because they see and see not, and hear and they hear not. Neither do they understand. The exact opposite of what you were told in Sunday school. And in them is fulfilled the, uh, Isaiah, the prophecy of Isaiah, which says, By hearing you shall hear and shall not understand, seeing you will see and not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes uh, uh, have closed. Lest at any time they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. That's why I speak to them in parables. But blessed are your eyes, for they see. In your ears, for they hear. For verily I say to you that many prophets and righteous men have desired, and that includes Isaiah, he desired to see the things that you and I see, and he did not see them, and to hear the things that you and I hear, and he did not hear them. Christ took this commission to Isaiah as a personal commission given to him by his father. And this is how Christ tells us we're to understand the commission given to Isaiah, which Christ took upon himself. As my Father has sent me, so send I you. That's how we're to take this commission. And that's John 20, verse 21. Christ was not a man of unclean lips, but his Father did send him to witness against his own people and to judge those who claim him as their God, but don't obey his commandments. John 9, 39, Jesus said, For judgment I'm come into the world that they which see not might see, and that they which see might be made blind. And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, and this would be the multitudes, this would be Ahaz, this would be you and me, are we blind also? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, if you can see that you are blind as a bat, you would have no sin. It's not I that do it. It's, it's so wonderful to... Acknowledge the truth. It's not I that do it. It was not you that sold me into Egypt. But now you say we see. Now you say, oh, but I did sell you into Egypt. Now you say, oh, but I have free will, and I do see, and I do understand. Therefore, your sin remains. Isaiah knew he was blind. He knew and confessed, woe is me. For I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And I hope that's where we, we are. We are beginning to see God. And we know that we need that fiery coal to come and touch our lips. Because what that does is that cleanses what comes out of the heart, because the mouth speaks from the heart. So there's a change of heart in that little 
story there about the coal being taken from the altar with the tongs by the by the seraphim, by you and me. It's all about the body of Christ. That's who we are. And when I say all, I mean all, the whole story. Now this verse in Isaiah 6, 5 expresses the utter despair to which we all must be brought via the pouring out of the seven last plagues upon the kingdom of Babylon within us. And that's exactly what we're told is done in Isaiah I mean, in Revelation 5, verse 8, and in Revelation 16, verse 19. This is poured out upon Babylon. We think we have experienced this great earthquake long before we're truly brought to our wit's end. And that's what Job and all the prophets tell us. And that includes this book of Isaiah. Job thought that after the Lord had taken everything away from him, that his anger would surely be assuaged. Job 1, verses 20 through 22. Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell upon the ground and worshipped, and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Now, in losing all of his earthly possessions, everything, in one day, and that included his ten children, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. And what Job, what Job did not realize as this book of Isaiah will also demonstrate, is that the loss of the possessions was merely the beginning of sorrows for Job. In chapter 2, he's stricken with boils from head to toe because God wants us to come to see just what the depths of sin, sins of the flesh are. And Job is yet to be put through the mental torment of having to acknowledge that even his closest friends actually consider him to be a secret sinner. They just don't know what his sins are, but they know he's a, an incredibly wicked man because of what's befallen him. He's worse than most men, in their opinion. And he has to live with that. Here's the assessment of Job by Eliphaz, the eldest of his three comforting friends who had come to comfort him in his distress, supposedly. Then Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said, now, uh, we're our, our, our brother down in South Africa there, Pete, just in his study last week, pointed out that Timon is a son of Esau. So Eliphaz is, a, is an Edomite. Job was an Edomite. And uh, Timon is a city of Edom, named after Esau's son. So this is all our flesh, because Esau represents our flesh. Then Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said, If we essay to commune with you, will you be grieved? But who can withhold himself from speaking? Behold, you have instructed many. You have strengthened the weak hands. Your words have upholden him that was fallen, and you have strengthened the feeble knees. But now it's come upon you, and you faint. It touches you and your trouble. Is not this your fear, your confidence, your hope, and the uprightness of your ways? Isn't this the fruit of all that? That's what he's saying. Remember, I pray you, whoever perished being innocent, or where were the righteous cut off? And he said this to a man who's come to comfort. So uncaring words provokes one to ask if Eliphaz thought of himself as an immortal who would never perish. That Eliphaz isn't finished tormenting the man 
who typifies God's elect while they're being tried. When he responds to Job's defense of himself, on his second go-round, Eliphaz continues to torment Job with these words in chapter 15. The wicked man travails with pain all his days. Look at you, Job. And the number of years of is uh, hidden to the oppressor. doesn't know how long it's going to last. A dreadful sound is in his ears. In prosperity, the destroyer shall come upon him. Just like it did you, Job. He that believes not that he shall return out of darkness, he believes not that he shall return out of darkness, and he is waited for of the sword. He wanders abroad for bread, saying, Where is it? He knows that the day of darkness is ready at hand, at his hand. That's what he thinks of Job, a wicked man. As heartless as this entire scene may seem, if we fail to remember that Eliphaz, Zophar, and Bildad, all of Job's miserable comforters, are just, just as much the Lord's hand as is Satan, we will be tempted to think of Job and his accusing comforters as uh, an outward historical story about an innocent persecuted man who was tormented by three men whom he considered to be his closest friends. The same is true of this prophecy of Isaiah and all other prophecies of Scripture. All men are just instruments in the Lord's hand and are all made to err from his ways. We must remember that all Scripture is given to us by inspiration of God that all men can do only what our Heavenly Father's hand and his foreknowledge determined before it be done. That's true for all men. We, can, we must never let that, although we will, we must fight not to let that slip from our memory. Acts 4, verses 25 through 28. Who, by the mouth of your servant David, have said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up. The rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth <clears throat> against your holy child Jesus, whom you have ordained, I have anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever your hand and your counsel determined before to be done. <clears throat> 2 Timothy 3.16 All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Now Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel represents all men of all time. We're all guilty of the death of our own Savior. But we're not responsible for that death because we can only do whatsoever his hand and his counsel determined before to be done. Being guilty does not make us responsible for that guilt. As Joseph explained to his brothers and as Paul explained to us. And we've been over the story of Joseph so much that I'll just point it out that he twice said that his brothers sold him into Egypt. And then he says in verse 8, so now it was not you that sent me here, but God. And in Romans 7, Paul says the exact same thing. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. And then he repeats that in Romans 7, verse 20. Now if I do that, I would not. It's no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. 
Now, knowing this is the truth, we still must pray the prayer found in this very next verse in Acts 4. And now, Lord, behold their threatening, and grant unto your servants, this is talking to you and me, about you and me, that we may with all boldness speak your word. If we with all boldness speak these words, then we will not hate the lump of the clay which the potter's hand uh, uses as a tool. Just as Satan and Job, one and two is revealed to be your hand, the Lord's own hand. Now let's, let's look at that real quickly, just to keep it in mind. Job 1 verses 11 and 12, say, Satan says to God, he says, put forth your hand and touch all that he has and he'll curse you your face. And the Lord says to Satan, all he has is in your power, but Upon him, you uh, only upon himself. Put not forth your hand. There it is. You know, your hand in verse one is the same. Your hand in verse two, because God sent Satan to do what he did. So Satan is nothing more than God's hand. Chapter two says the same thing. Job didn't curse him after having lost everything. So he he says, put forth your hand. Satan said, put forth your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he'll curse you your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he's in your hand, but save his life. Satan does exactly what God says to do. He can't touch him until God says to touch him. And then after he says touch him, he, he can't take his life because God said don't take his life. And that's the way with you and me. What we do are our wretched acts are what God put in our book for Satan to tempt us to do. In our flesh is more than willing to be tempted. We are the, the uh, guilt, willingly guilty. We're granted to, if we're granted to accept this truth, then we'll accept and rejoice in the sovereignty of God and the salvation which he's in the process of bringing to all men through this judging that we go through. When we're granted to believe that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and that it is all profitable for doctrine and reproof and correction and instruction and righteousness, then these words here in Isaiah must have a spiritual application to and for each of us. That is, of course, exactly what the Spirit tells us. That this book, the book of Isaiah, and all the Old Testament prophets in their spiritual application, they were not even addressed to the prophet who wrote it or to the people of his day. Yet how few, how few even know that these words are in the Scripture. First Peter 1, verses 9 through 12. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that would follow. I, I want to point out that the Spirit signified a manner of time when these things would happen. You and I have been given an overall outline of the, of the plan of God. We don't know the details, we don't know the day and hour, but we do know the timeline. Unto whom it was revealed, now this is the, this is the significant part, unto whom it was revealed that not to themselves but to us they did minister the things which are now reported to you by them which have 
preach the gospel unto you with the Holy Spirit, sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Now, when it says not unto themselves, it doesn't mean they had absolutely no application to them at all. Well, certainly what we're about to read and what uh, Isaiah is, going to, is saying to Ahaz has a physical application, but it had no spiritual application whatsoever. That was reserved for us. Unto whom it was revealed that not to themselves but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported to you by them which have preached the gospel to you with the Holy Spirit sent down from heaven which things the angels desire to look into. So yes, it's all within. But then we have to take this free gift and give it to others. The degree to which we are benefited from these words is the degree to which we are granted to apply the words of the prophets to ourselves. We've already seen that Jerusalem is addressed as a harlot, likened to Sodom and Gomorrah. Isaiah 1 verse 10. Hear ye the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Now this is right after saying that this book is addressed to Judah and Jerusalem. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. And then skipping down to verse 21, same chapter. How has the faceless city become a harlot? It was full of judgment. Righteousness lodged in it, but now murderers. And then skipping ahead to chapter 3, the show of their countenance witnesses against them. They declare their sin to Sodom. They hide it not. Woe to their souls, for they have rewarded evil to themselves. How true are those words, within and without, until we see this fallen Jerusalem as the capital of the kingdom of God within us, we will never see ourselves as those who have been deprived of the whole stay of bread and the whole stay of water. Until we're granted to understand that unto us Isaiah is ministering, we will never see ourselves as the seven women who want Christ's name but do not want to eat his bread. Bread and water are both the very symbols of, of Christ's doctrine. If we fail to understand that Isaiah is prophesying to us, We'll never understand that it is we who do not want water to wear his apparel, the biblical symbol for the righteousness of the saints. Isaiah 3.1, Behold the Lord, the Lord of hosts, does take away from Jerusalem and from Judah the stay and the staff, the whole stay of bread and the whole stay of water. If we can't see that Isaiah is speaking to us, that's just a history lesson of what God did to a physical nation called Israel. But if we do see that Isaiah and the prophets are to us and not unto themselves, then we will know that this is speaking to us. And we'll know that in that day seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, We will eat our own bread and wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by your name to take away our reproach. Is us. That's talking of us, to us, about us. It's only if we're granted to acknowledge that Isaiah's prophecy against the Lord's vineyard which brought forth wild grapes, refers to us, that we can acknowledge that Isaiah prophesied of the chastening grace that should come to us. Isaiah 5, 3, And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. What could I have done more to my vineyard that I have not done to it? 
Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, it brought forth wild grapes. Wherefore, just means why. Why? When I looked that it should bring forth grapes, it brought forth wild grapes. And now, go to. I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up, and break down the wall thereof, and it will be trodden down. Now, that's what we're going to be reading a lot about in the, the book of Isaiah, because this is us. And the whole process is telling us what we can expect of the trials of life. First Peter 1.10 Of which salvation the prophets, including Isaiah, have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the chastening grace that would come to you and to me. Only if we know that Isaiah was prophesying of this chastening grace coming to us, will we understand that it's really our lips which must be touched with a live coal from off the altar to take away our iniquity and purge our sin. Isaiah 6 then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is purged. Without the information given us in First Peter 1 verses 9 through 12, we would never understand that we are the messengers being sent to the Lord's people to tell them of the fiery process of judgment through which we are all brought to God. Isaiah 6, 8. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, To whom shall, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I. Send me. But we do understand. <clears throat> that we are the man to whom God has sent his messenger. And if we have endured the fire from off the altar, we can now be sent to show others what is their own blinded spiritual condition and how they too must be judged with the same fiery coal from off the altar. And we must, through much tribulation and through the seven last plagues, through the fiery trials of First Peter 4.12, enter into the kingdom of God in heaven. <clears throat> Here are the verses. Acts 14.22, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. We must through much tribulation. No way around it. You can't come in the back door and skip all the trials. First Peter 4.12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Revelation 15, 7. And one of the four beasts gave to the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. That is, that is us giving to us. Because the four beasts tell us that they are us. They tell us. We've been over that. And they are giving to us. We give to each other. We pass the it is the people of God who give the truth to the people of God. And the temple was filled with, the sm with smoke from the glory of God and from the, his power. Well, smoke is burning something up. And it, that smoke is coming right from that altar where that seraphim took that coal. And no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of seven angels were fulfilled. And that coal of that altar, from that altar, touched Isaiah's lips 
it's not adding to the Word of God at all to say that the temple was filled with smoke because there was sin in Isaiah's heart. That's not adding to the Scriptures either because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It's after our Lord asks, Whom shall I send? And after we say, Here am I, send me, that we are now sent to the king over our own land. And we begin to see just how thorough the process of judgment is, which we must endure before we can enter into the kingdom of God. This is what we're told to do immediately after hearing, Here am I, send me. Now this is going to sound like I'm just reading a story of what happened to uh, when Isaiah talked to Ahaz. But I hope that you can see more after this summation that I've given you of what we've read in Isaiah up to this time. Now what I just did was to give you a summation of chapters 1 through 6. And now we're about to begin in chapter 7 to see just how deep-rooted this whole thing is. Because Syria and Israel... Ephraim is called. Israel and Ephraim are used interchangeably. They're just our flesh. They're just our flesh. Ephraim and Syria are nothing but our flesh. And it's got to be used of God to bring us to our wit's end. Our flesh does that. Your own sins will correct you. So let's read it now. It came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezan, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, went up toward Jerusalem to war against it, but it could not prevail against it. Now, you may say, how do you figure that Syria is our own flesh? Well, just, just be patient with me here. And it was told the house of David, saying, Syria is confederate with Ephraim. And his heart was moved, and the heart of his people, as the trees of the wood are moved with the wind. They're, about, they're beginning to be brought to their wit's end. We are. Then said the Lord to Isaiah, Go forth now to meet Ahaz, you and Sherab, Sherar, Yashub. That name means a remnant shall return. That's what it means, and that's why Isaiah took Sherab, uh, Yashub with him. At the end of the conduit of the upper pool in the highway of the fuller's field. And say to him, Take heed and be quiet, fear not, neither be faint hearted for the tales of these smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of Rezin with Syria and of the son of Remaliah. Because Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Remaliah have taken evil counsel against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and vex it, and let us make a breach therein for us, and set up a king in the midst of it, even the son of Tobiel. Then saith the Lord God, it shall not stand. Thus saith the Lord God, it shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is risen. And within three, four, and five years, Ephraim shall be broken, that it shall not be a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Remaliah's son. If you believe not, surely you will not be established. We are King Ahaz long before we become Isaiah. We are Syria long before we become Israel. We are Israel long before we become, become Judah and Ahaz. We are all of these things. Isaiah is sent 
as God's people are sent to us to tell us of our impending judgment. But we must understand that we are also, all men, that is, like, like I say, that includes Syria, the peak of the king of, Syria, of Israel, because the, those countries are our own flesh, and we have long lived in the service of our flesh, serving our families and our friends ahead of serving the Lord, serving our country, serving anything but God. Everything comes before God. And this message to Ahaz comes to him while his own flesh is conflicted and is conspiring against him. That's when the truth comes to us, when we are brought to our wit's end. Israel was once united with Judah, and, and uh, Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, reigned over both Israel and Judah as one nation. But even then, Israel's enemy was uh, their own flesh, Syria, Moab, Ammon, Edom, Edom was uh, Jacob's brother, the Old Testament type of God's elect. Moab and Ammon are the sons of Abraham's nephew, Lot, who was the son of Haran, Abraham's brother, who died before Abraham left Ur of the Chaldees. This is why Abraham's entire family are called Syrians. And that's how we know that Syria is just our own flesh. Genesis 25:20, And Isaiah, Isaac was... Forty years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padan Aram, the son, I mean the sister of Laban, the Syrian. Now Bethuel was Abraham's uh, nephew, the son of uh, uh, Haran, who was Abraham's brother. So this is just Abraham's flesh. This is our flesh. Edom, of course, is Esau's, is Jacob's uh, twin brother. And these are the countries with whom Israel fought all through the, her physical history. They are one and all Israel's own family, representing the struggles within us that bring us to our wit's end. So the countries who are conspiring against Judah are Judah's own family and his own flesh. We are Judah and Jerusalem, but these other kingdoms are also within us, fighting against us, bringing us to our wit's end, into the eventual destruction of the kingdom of our old man. Even Jerusalem itself is in bondage with her children and must be taken and destroyed to be replaced with a new man, with a new heavenly Jerusalem within himself. John 12, verses 23 through 25, Jesus answered and said, The hour is coming that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it die, it brings forth much fruit. Now, you may not see the connection between verse 23 and 24, but there is a very big and strong connection. The Son of Man will not be glorified until he dies. That's just what Christ is telling us. He that loves his life will lose it. He that hates his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. Isaiah 64, verses 10 through 12. The holy cities are a wilderness. Zion is a wilderness. Jerusalem, a desolation. Our holy and our beautiful house, where our fathers praised you, is burned up with fire, and our pleasant things are laid waste. Will you refrain yourself for all these things, for these things, O Lord? Will you hold your peace and afflict us very sore? Jerusalem which is in bondage with her children, is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt. 
she too must be cleansed and purged of her iniquities and sins and endure the fullness of the Lord's wrath against her sins. Jeremiah 25, verses 15 through 18. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel unto me, Take the wine cup of this fury at my hand, it's the Lord's wrath, his fury, and cause all nations to whom I send you to drink it. And they shall drink, and be moved, and be mad, because the sword, because of the sword that I shall send among them. There it is. I didn't write it, but that's the truth. The Lord is going to send a sword among us. It will happen in, inwardly, and it will happen outwardly. Then took I the cup at the Lord's hand, and made all nations to drink, unto whom the Lord had sent me. To wit, who am I talking about? Jerusalem, and the cities of Judah, and the kings thereof. That's where he starts. Judgment must begin at the house of God. And the princes thereof, to make them a desolation, and a stasman, a hissing, and a curse, as it is this, this day. He goes on to mention all the kingdoms of the world in that 25th chapter of uh, Jeremiah, but it begins with Jerusalem. Galatians 4.25 For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and answers to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. We do not want to die. The destruction of our Jerusalem within is as offensive to us as dying. So we can bring forth much fruit. Nevertheless, we will learn in this prophecy of Isaiah, as we will learn in this prophecy of Isaiah, Judah and Jerusalem must also be made to drink of the wine of the Lord's wrath against them, because they are spiritual Babylon. God's wrath will not spare Jerusalem. She must drink of the wine of his wrath along with every other nation on earth. It's a long and tedious process from the perspective of our old man. Isaiah 6, 11 through 13, Then said the Lord, How long? And he answered, until the cities wasted without inhabitant, and the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate. And the Lord have removed men far away, and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. But yet it shall be a tent, and it shall return, and it shall be eaten as a teal tree, and as an oak tree, whose substance is in them. When they cast their leaves, so shall the holy seed be the substance thereof. There's a tenth of a tenth that the Lord is going to use to his glory. And even that's symbolic. It's not an actual percentage. Isaiah's words to Ahaz at the beginning are the beginning of that judgment, which we must all endure to the end. But these words to King Ahaz are just the beginning of the sorrows for Jerusalem, which is in bondage with her children. So I'm going to read it again. It came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, the king of Syria, Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, went up toward Jerusalem to war against it, but could not prevail against it. We fight against our flesh, but it continues to torment us. And it was told the house of David, saying, Syria is confederate with Ephraim. And his heart was moved in the heart of his people, and the trees of the wood, or as the trees of the wood are moved with the wind. Then said the Lord unto Isaiah, Go forth now to meet Ahaz, you and Sher Yashub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool in the highway of the fuller's field, and say to him, Take heed, be quiet, fear not, 
neither be faint-hearted, for the tales of these two smoking firebrands, for the fear of Rezin, was Syria, and the son of Remaliah. Now God is dealing with us long before we are converted. Dealing with us when we're as carnal as the days long. He comes to us and deals with us. Because Ahaz is not a symbol of God's converted people. Ahaz is Babylon. Because Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Remaliah have taken evil counsel against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and vex it, and let us make a breach therein. Uh, for us, and set a king in the midst of it, even the son of Tabeol. Then saith the Lord God, thus saith the Lord God, it shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is resident, and within three score and five years shall Ephraim be broken, that it be not a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Remaliah's son. If you will not believe, you shall not be established. Well, you and I believe. We know that it is through much tribulation that we enter the kingdom of heaven. We've been told. We've been given faith. All of this is being worked by God. And Ahaz and Jerusalem within us, in reality, have no choice in this matter. Jerusalem, which is in bondage with her children, cannot believe and will not be established because she's not been given any faith. But new spirit Jerusalem will be established simply because she has been granted the free gift of faith. Isaiah 24:23. Then the moon shall be confounded and the sun ashamed when the Lord of hosts shall reign in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem and before his ancients gloriously. In Galatians 4:26. But Jerusalem which is above is free, which is the mother of us all. So the end is good, but the getting there is a fiery experience. That's our study for today, and 